morning, uh, I was going to address uh, the function of the central uh, power of the soul, which is dot. Dot either means usually translated as knowledge, but I'm familiar with the acronym of Chabad, which is called Mapinadat, the three faculties of the mind. But the central one is dot was normally translated as knowledge, but in a wider sense means consciousness. It's especially the ability, the ability of consciousness of our consciousness to be aware and so strongly aware of something of some uh, reality that we contact, actually touch, like the the spiritual inner sense of touch and and the unification of the unified with something that we know. That's why in the Torah we first find the, the verb to know in the context of marriage. Now the particular function that God serves in the soul is to bridge the mind in general to the heart, meaning our intelligence to our emotions. By so bridging the intelligence to the emotions, that itself becomes a motivation to act, to enact what we understand in our minds and what we then experience and feel in our hearts to bring it into into objective outer reality. So therefore that is virtually the most important, most all-inclusive all power of the soul. For which reason the sages say that that kanita ma kasarta, that kasarta ma kanita. If a person has that, he's missing, lacking nothing. And if you don't have that, you possess nothing. You either have all if you possess that, or you have nothing if you do not possess that. Very often uh, in the soul, the spark of Moshe Rabbeinu that every Jew possesses, as explained in Tanya, chapter 42 of Tanya, so that's also the dot, the inner dot of the ability of the soul to contact truth, especially to contact, contact the truth of godliness in our lives. That's called the spark of Moses within every Jew. Another important uh, saying in the in the Zohar states that Moshe Milatav Yaakov Milatav. Now in the Torah, we're reading about Yaakov, how he marries his his wives and gives birth to the tribes of Israel, thereby establishing the entire house of Israel, Bet Israel. So his inner soul is Moses. That's what it says Moses is within, and Jacob is the body that enclose the soul of Moses. The inner of Moses not, has not yet been born, but Moses is the inner soul of Jacob himself. As one of the emotions of the heart, Jacob is also the central emotion, because Abraham is the right, of chesed, loving kindness, and Yitzhak Avinu is the left, which is might, of awe, fear and awe, in the presence of God. And Yaakov is the center, is the torso of the body, not the right arm and the left arm, is the symbolism in Kabbalah. 
and he corresponds to the heart itself, which is in the middle, and the heart is the essence of mercy and compassion. So as an emotion, Yaakov is the central, all-inclusive emotion, but within himself he has to have the presence with his own inner soul, which is Moshe Rabbeinu. Once more represents that, just the essence of what we call it Jewish consciousness. But it means to to be consciousness is, is thinking and speaking and acting. Awareness, Jewish awareness. That's Moshe Rabbeinu in each of our souls. So this is a an introduction. The the particular topic that also uh, we were asked to, to address is how do we achieve the uh, balance, the proper balance in our lives, in our spiritual lives, between our minds and our hearts. That at first glance appear to be two opposite forces or vector forces. Or in the terminology of Kabbalah, the mind is relatively water, it's called, Water is naturally cool or cold, whereas the heart is fire, and fire is hot, is in an excited state. In Hasidut it's called Hispalus, the heart is always experiencing excitement. It has to, in order to continue to, to beat and to pump out its life force through the means of the blood into all of the limbs of the body. And the mind is above, just like the head is above the body. It's overlooking, <coughs> it's controlling, but it's relatively calm and collected. That's what it ideally should be. So it's a totally different in nature. The nature of water versus the nature of fire. Cold versus hot. One way to understand the difference between mind and and heart is that mind strives always to be objective, to simply be to perceive reality as it is. All of the senses, sight, hearing, and all of the other senses, are functions of the mind in general, and that in particular. Meaning that an inner sight, if I if I intend to to see to observe reality as it is, that's chokhmah. If I intend to hear the fine distinctions, sometimes you hear, you can pick up distinctions that you can't see. So also spiritually, that hearing, the spiritual hearing is being up, it's understanding, and so forth. Meaning that the, the faculties of the mind are the inner senses. And the function of the inner senses is not to emotionally experience what I'm seeing, just to perceive in truth, to perceive reality objectively. But as soon as I turn to the to my heart, so my heart is how I react and experience it, what it does to me. Well, my heart is also concerned with the others, not just I'm into myself. If the heart is rectified, it's, it's compassionate. As we said, the, the main central function of the heart is to be compassionate. The right hand is, is love, simple love. The difference between love and compassion is rather just natural desire to do good to another. Compassion is empathy, that I actually feel, I live the other's situation in myself. 
So that develops even a deeper necessity in my soul to to shower my benevolence upon the other. Because it's actually myself, I feel it's myself. That's true empathy. But it all involves me. And that's why it's a, a hot, excited state of the of experience. So very often the two uh, words that are used to, the, to distinguish between the mind and heart are simply perception versus experience. Even though I might be able to define the word experience also as perce- perception itself, but here when I say experience, as in the, the modern Hebrew word for experience is Chavaya. Chavaya is from the word Chava, the first woman. And Kabbalah was that also the relation between mind and heart is a male-female relation. But the objective, subjective union or relationship is itself male and female. That's why the bridge, as we're going to go on to explain, the bridges that connects them is that. Just as we said before, that the first time that is used as a verb in the Torah is in the context of Adam marrying Eve and procreating with Eve. So for Eve, her name itself means, was the origin of the, of, of just general experience, subjective experience. Whereas man would be by himself, the male by himself would just be objective per- perception. Each one obviously, even though they seem to be different, either almost opposite of one another, but we can already understand that they definitely need one another to complement one another. And that's the key to understanding how to connect these two opposite uh, phen- spiritual psychic phenomena of mind and heart is because they, they must be married to one another. The question is how we do it and how we reach that uh, inner balance, that inner marriage of mind to heart in our own souls and psyches. In Hasidut, we're explaining that when there are two opposite uh, states, there are different manners of uniting two opposites. But the whole, obviously, the, the intention of the Torah, especially the inner soul of the Torah, Hasidot, Katalan Hasidot, is always to unite. Even if two things appear to be different, and sometimes we must distinguish and establish, understand that they're different, or that initially they're different. But ultimately, the goal is to, is to unite. The, the first goal of the rectification of our own souls is the ability to establish the balance and ultimately unite our minds and our hearts, our objective perception of reality and our subjective experience of reality. And uh, I repeat once more, experience doesn't just mean that I'm taking it into myself. Experience also evokes compassion and a need, a desire to do good, to act. But experience is closer to action than is perception. Perception, you can just be like a professor in the university and know everything and do nothing. That's, a, that's male without female. But experience, even though on the one hand it's, it's subjective, but it is what 
finally is the motivation of taking action in order to change reality, change our world for the better. Right, so now the, the topic is that this is a very, maybe one of the central and deepest topics in Hasidot, how do we bridge and connect opposites. So if we would study this in the, maybe another session, the next session will of course be to how to apply what we're going to say now to marriage. Because the, now we're talking about marriage within <coughs> ourselves, the marriage of, of mind to heart. But how to apply it to, to individuals, to two souls that are coming together. So that would be step number two. Let's uh, meditate a moment upon the word bridge. How do we say bridge? To bridge two things in Hebrew is Kesher. In the Zohar we find the concept that just like there are 32 pathways of wisdom and 50 gates of understanding, there are 72 bridges. The three numbers that go together. There are 32 pathways of wisdom, 50 gates of understanding, and 72 bridges. Now those 72 bridges to which sphere, to which power do they belong? So either to, sometimes says chesed, because the word chesed itself, kindness, loving kindness, equals 72, chesed. But since the 32 are wisdom and the 50 is understanding, so it's also explained that the 72 bridges are the 72 powers of God. And what is the bridge principle? What does that mean, a bridge? A bridge is to bind, to connect two to opposites together. Two opposites that are separated by something you can't pass over normally, naturally. You have to have a, a third power, a bridge, to bridge them together. So once more, the concept of bridge is... A, closely or essentially related to Da'at. Why do these three numbers, just as a parenthetical uh, observation, why do they go together? Well, it's 32, 15, 72. So I'm going to explain that there's a mathematical series, progression here. What is, what is in common to 32, 50, and 72? Why should they follow one another? So whoever, whoever has the proper mathematical background, these are, this is a series that's called 2n squared, double squares. 32 is 2 4 squared, 2 times 4 squared, 50 is 2 times 5 squared, and 72 is 2 times 6 squared. I mean, there's a part of the series that would begin with the number 2, and then the number 8, and then the number 18, 2 is 2 times 1 squared, and 8 is 2 times 2 squared, and 18 is 2 times 3 squared, and then it's followed by these three numbers, 32, 50, and 72, and then it continues. So this is a progression, we will not now explain it anymore, but it's a very important, uh, called a quadratic expression, because it's in the second power. So 32 are the pathways, the number of the pathways of wisdom, and 50 the gates of understanding, and 72 the bridges of that. Since we have now understood by that, we want to understand that these numbers are, are double squares. 
because that immediately then implies that the number 72 is actually a composite of 2 times 36. And this is exactly what is explained in the Zohar, that there are, in every generation we know the concept of 36 tzadikim, righteous souls, that they themselves serve to bridge the entire Jewish people, all of us, to to the unity, to the true unity of, of Hashem, Hashem Echad, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokein, Hashem Echad. But the Zohar said that the tzadikim of every generation actually are double. Because for every revealed tzadik, there's a hidden tzadik. So there are 36 revealed tzadikim in the generation, and corresponding to them, there are another 36 concealed tzadikim in every generation. Altogether, 72. So once more here we see just mathematically how 72 is understood to be a double square because 36 is 6 squared. A square number represents a consummate state of interinclusion. That every part of the set reflects all of the parts of the set. Like a holographic principle. That's called a square number. We'll talk about that in a moment. The word Gesher phonetically, Gesher once more is a bridge. There are 72 bridges. But we're talking about now is how to bridge mind to, to heart. Phonetically, the word Gesher is the same as the word Kesher. Because the Gimel and the Kuf interchange open the, the letters of the palette and especially these two letters interchange like whoever heard the uh, Temani phonetic pronunciation so Gimel and Kuf are sometimes actually phonetically totally interchangeable meaning that the word Gesher a bridge is just like Kesher what does Kesher mean? Bond when we open up the Sefer Tanya Kadisha, the, the Torah Shabbat of Hasidus, and we look at the third chapter, how he defines what is Chokmah, what is Binan, what is Zat, so he defines the word Zat as Yitzkashrut. Yitzkashrut. Kesher. And Kesher, which is binding together, that's the definition of the power of God in the soul, to bind. So that's virtually the same word as Kesher, which is bridge implying, as is actually explained there in Tanya itself in chapter 3, that the primary fundamental function of that is to bind together, or here we're saying to bridge the mind to the heart. To evoke or to arouse or to, in the symbolism, the imagery of Kabbalah, to give birth in the heart to children, that the children are the emotions, and that always remain present within the children or that they remain alive. Because if that, he says, he explains that the Al-Turabi and Tanya, if that is removed or disappears, then the, the true life and presence of the children also immediately disappears. And those emotions become imaginary. In order to keep the emotions real, there has to be continually an influx of that. That's what explains it there. It's a, a continual rebirth process, just like a recreation process. 
And the power of the soul that does that is that. This exactly is what we explained before. The that is called Moshe Rabbeinu that is always present within as a soul within Yaakov Rabbeinu. Our father Yaakov was the essence of the emotions of the heart. Right, so now, once more, what are the different ways in which opposites in general are able to unite, to be bridged together? So in the deep teachings of Hasidut, there are four, and we'll explain also that there's a fifth way in which two opposites unite. Now, since there are essentially four ways, these four ways, just that this is the most basic principle of, uh, of meditating according to Kabbalah, so these four ways themselves must be in, envisioned as corresponding to the most basic model of Kabbalah, which is the yud ke the four-letter model of Hashem's essential name, Havaya. That in the soul, the Yud is itself wisdom, and the first day, the Yud is called the father principle, wisdom, the first day is the mother principle, understanding. The Vav are the six essential midot of the heart, attributes of the heart, the emotions, and finally, the final hay is Mahut. Mahut is expression, like speech, how it's expressed to the outside world, all of this inner spiritual flow. This is the most basic model of Kabbalah, that there are always everything evolves, every phenomenon in the world, whether it's a physical phenomenon or a psychological phenomenon, it all evolves in the form of Hashem's name. As though Hashem's name is, is an idiom, that Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke, with what it means is stamped, it's like a signature, like the painter signs his painting. So every aspect, whether it's an elementary particle or whether it's the solar system or the whole universe, every aspect of reality, whether it's our souls, is signed by God. Because it's all a work of art. The creator of the universe. So the first objective of meditation is to see that signature. If you look at the painting, then you look for the signature with the, with the painter. And then to unite that signature with the painting. <coughs> to see how the painting really is, they represent a true manifestation, representation of that signature. And the signature is Yudhi So this is once more a general principle of meditation, the most important. So first we'll explain the four basic manners in which opposites are bridged. And we're now in particular relating to bridging mind, perception to heart, experience. Water to fire. One image of water and fire are two angels in heaven called Michael, Michael, the angel of water, and Gabriel, the angel of fire. So the Gemara itself, how do those two make peace between themselves? These two are both ministers of Akkadosh Baruch They're both good, good angels. Each one has a whole camp of infinite angels belonging to his camp. All of Michael and his camp of infinite angels serve God 
They don't possess free choice in the way that free human beings have free choice. So their service is not so valuable in the eyes of God. Nonetheless, they serve God better, much better than we do. So that it's easier for them. It's automatic for them almost. But Michael in his camp of angels serves God with love. Because love once more in the heart itself, relative to one another, love and fear are also called water and fire. And Gabriel and his camp serves God with fire. So the Gemara itself says, how do they make peace between themselves, these two camps? Two camps of good angels. How do they, how is peace established? So it's that verse that we actually say in our prayers, every time we pray Shmanesra, we say, Oseh Shalom Binomad. Hashem makes peace in heaven. So, Gabriel says, uh, the, the Chazal say, how does Hashem make peace? Making peace in heaven, we say, he who makes peace in heaven from this verse, he shall make peace down on earth between us, amongst us. <coughs> how does God make peace? Chazal say, Michael, how does God make peace between them? So the understanding is that when the king, when the king has two ministers, two good ministers, but they're different from one another, so different from one another, they're antithetical one to the other. They're opposites. So how can those ministers work, not only in peace, but constructively work together? And two ministers with absolutely two different natures, that if they would just want to make a, some uh, transaction between themselves, it would never work because they're so different from one another. Like two people that want to make a contract, a business or something together. They're so different natures that it would never work out well. So nonetheless, these are two servants and ministers of, of Hashem. How do they make peace? Well, only God can make peace between them. He makes peace in heaven. How does he do it? So it says it's very simple that when the king reveals himself, in the presence of the king, all the ministers that are good ministers and obedient ministers of the king, they all bow down. And bowing down to the king means inwardly that they all experience self-nullification, bitul. And that the difference is, their, their very essence becomes batel, becomes nullified in the presence of the king. And when they bow down and become null, each one in his own way, so then they can unite because they become their yeshut, their individuality which separates them has become nullified. So this is a, once more, this is taking an, a, a, a particular uh, saying and understanding of the sages and to generalize it this is the first way that, that peace or union that the two opposites bridge together is by common be to a common source or a common authority in marriage I said we won't get to the class of marriage but just to just a, a, an observation, an insight. There are three partners of marriage. Husband, wife, and a Baruch In order that the marriage be a true marriage, a good marriage, then there has to be a conscious be 
of both partners of Merashwaka to, to the third part, Before a couple, especially a, a Torah observant couple gets married, it's one of the most important things is who is our, not only our Kodesh but certainly our common authority. But even down on earth, who, which representative, which means which rabbinic source is our common authority. And if we have a question, so we seek advice, we know that we have a, a source to, to, to seek and to achieve advice. So if that, if that is potential bitur, that both sides are batel to, to a third, even in the Torah itself, sometimes it appears that one verse contradicts another verse. So how is that reconciled? You say there are also in the prayers in the mind that can only be reconciled if there's a third verse that, that sheds light and insight how to reconcile those two apparently contradictory verses. The first way to make peace or to bridge opposites is by bitul of each to a common source. Meaning that also in the mind of the heart, there must be something above mind and heart. If the mind is is a hundred percent just into itself as mind, and the heart is just totally into itself as heart, so then it's going to be a very difficult uh, achievement to uh, to reunify themselves. Just like once more, a husband and a wife, if each one is just totally in the, into what he is and doing, and has no be tool and thereby also know there's no conscious desire to for something else so then it's very everyone's going his own path and as we know even in say in modern physics modern physics principle that if things are going to in their own path due to the phenomena of the expanding universe which is a new idea so things are always getting further and further apart and not coming closer and closer to one another Right, so the, f- the first idea is that bridge only comes by means of bitul. The second clue to unification is that in order to establish bridge or unity between two apparent opposites, one has to meditate and analyze in depth each one itself until one discovers that in essence each one possesses an element of the other even though it appears that they are totally opposite one another. This is exactly the principle that we mentioned before it's called the interinclusion principle. Meaning that if once more if we have male and female or here it's mind and heart we must understand it and bring it out that the mind itself has an heart, has an, some emotive phenomenon to it. There's, there's emotion in the mind. There's experience in the perception. There's fire in the water. And the same as the opposite, there's water in the fire. Now, this depends upon meditation. The first depends upon bowing down to to the God just becoming known 
that each independent individuality becomes known as a common a third partner. If the two are null or nothing, so then they can most easily become one. Because zero plus zero is just zero, it's the same thing, so there's no problem whatsoever. But here it's not the zero plus zero. Here it's just the opposite almost. That each one is maturing once more, just like in marriage. It's not a self-nullification scenario, we'll call it. It's a maturity scenario that each one grows up, and this is just like in, in psychology, how to achieve balance between intelligence and emotion, which is a, a, a psychological problem, especially in growing up, in children growing up. And it very often remains throughout what is called adulthood. Meaning that old people can be 70 years old and still a young kid that has not yet established proper balance and union between uh, mind and heart. But true maturity is itself a, as it were, an unconscious meditative process of manifesting the interinclusion of each one in the other, even though at first sight they appear to be total opposites. So this is also a very, very deep topic in Hasidut, to see and to experience the emotion in the mind, and the mind in the emotion. And if they are brought out, then it becomes more, it's very, very easy to connect the two. How so? Because the emotion of the mind connects to the mind of the emotion. But the mind of the mind will never connect to the emotion of the emotion. The same is true of male and female. It says that union of male and female is only the female of the man unites with the male of the woman. As explained in depth throughout the Kabbalah and in Hasidot. So this is a totally different scenario of how two opposites unite. The third, the third way the two opposites unite with one another. There's now we're self-constructing a meditation and we're going in a definite order that will explain what the order is. The order is Yudkei will explain how it corresponds. The third manner in which two opposites unite is not only, it, in a certain sense, it resembles the first, but it's, it's unique. The first was that, as, as in the case of Michael, Yuchayel, and Gabriel, that when God himself appears, the king appears above them, prostrate themselves, and nullify themselves in the face of the king. But the king is up there, and these two are down here. The next way the two things unify is if not the king reveals himself, but if some third entity, very much like that third verse that we mentioned before, appears at their level, not way above them that they both bow down to him, but some, like once they say two people are having an argument. So some third person appears that can make peace between them. That only he is able to make like Aaron, Hakuen, Agadol. That he would make peace between 
quarreling souls, one person arguing quarreling with another. How would he do so? It even says, he would say, but also try to reveal the internal inclusion. Because one of the, it seems like he would even lie. But it's not called a lie, it's just revealing self-conscious truth. He would go to one side and say, you know that your opponent really likes you and would like to ask forgiveness, just to embarrassed to ask forgiveness. And so he would say to the other person, and then when these two rivals would be on the street, they would embrace one another and, uh, and uh, unite with one another. So this is called the presence of a third party. It's like much as they're going to a marriage counselor. But the marriage counselor is not God at all. But if he's a good marriage counselor, so he's at your level. He's not something necessarily way up there. But he just has this sense, this ability to bring you together. In a certain way, also to manifest the previous principle that you, that one has affinity and love for the other, even though it's not always conscious, and the other also loves his partner, his friend, and thereby bringing them together. This is called Amumutsahamakadah, which is also a function. All these are functions of that, but there are four different levels of manifestations. A Rebbe is called a Mumutsama Kader between the Jewish people and the and HaKadosh Baruch. Now whenever there is a Mumutsama Kader, an intermediate that links two things together, there can be a Mumutsama Mafsik, that's the opposite. Something that comes between and separates two from one another. That's bad. That's the, the worst phenomenon of Memutzah Hamafsik. But the ideal Memutzah is Memutzah Machaber. And it says that every tzaddik is like the, those 72 tzaddikim, the, the 36 revealed and the 36 concealed. All of those tzaddikim in every generation, they are the marriage counselors of the generation. Whether it's the marriage counselors between man and wife, Dama and Ruth, or the marriage counselor between Amisra and Akkadosh Baruch. Those are the 36 Sadiqim and the 72 Sadiqim. So now it's called the third way of establishing union between opposites is that there must be a Mumutsamah between the two. That Mumutsamah Haber must himself have two sides that one side is like two hands, that he's in the middle, and he has to possess two hands himself, two forces, that one hand takes hold of one extreme, and the other hand takes hold of the other extreme, and then he, with his own two hands, he brings them together. <coughs> this is that, not just he kashruk, but the author Rebbe defines that in the third chapter of Tani, he actually uses two words. He uses the word he kashruk, which is defined in he kabrut. He kabrut also means to connect. But his chabrut is like two friends. Chibur is like bringing two things together. So this particular image, just like we have the third, these two people that are distant from one another, and some third party enters in between them, and even sometimes forcefully has to forcefully extend his own hand to one side and his other hand to the other side and take them by hand and bring them together, that function and power of God is called Hit Chabrut, Chaber. 
Right. So this is a third, a third, a third way of establishing bringing union to two. Meaning that also in the soul there must be an actual power which is in between mind and emotion. And once for that itself is one of the facets of that. The that in and of itself has a intellectual side to it, and it also has an emotional side to it. For instance, it says, whoever doesn't have that cannot have empathy. Not only is that as it enters to be the soul, but the soul of empathy, of Rachamim, but it is, it is the essence of empathy. Without that, a person cannot, because one that is, is the essence of feeling, feeling you. It's about living your experience. So that is in and of itself a mimulta, because it has emotive essence to it. It also has mental essence to it. So that's why it can serve as this mimulta mechaber between, between emotion and, uh, and intelligence. The fourth way of establishing peace and uh, bridging opposites is by it becoming clear, as I can say, that these two opposites are going to be on the same plane of existence. They'll never, they'll never be able to function in harmony. The only one way to harmonize these two is that one in itself is willing to accept the appointment of the other to be in control. If we're both, like in a, once we're in the business, if we both have exactly the same, the same status in the hierarchy of the corporation, we're never going to be able to work together. One has to be above the other. And if one is above the other, then it can work. Then there can be a flow. So like in the, once more if we apply it to, to marriage, you know that in the Torah, you, in this world, the husband is in a certain sense is above the, the wife. You don't feel bad because when the ship is about to come in the well, the gun is going to be the opposite. <laughs> the, the wife will be higher than the husband. But this is the, the most practical way to establish peace, that one has to be clearly understood by the other. Before we talked about a common authority, the very first one, that the two are equal, but the two have to be nullified, that the couple has to have a common rabbinic source. And then, then it's, we don't say that the husband is, is above the woman, because if there's a problem, so neither is above me either. Just go to the source. Be not to the source, but here the rest of this is something just in, in nature itself, that one is lead, is relatively, it can also obviously change in different contexts. In one context, one can be the leader of the other. In a different context, like in the, Famous uh, thought in, 
in Hasidus or in, uh, even not, not Hasidus, that in the kitchen the woman is, is the king. And she lets her husband in when she wants. And if she doesn't want, he doesn't enter. So there's one context that one is the king, so to speak, in quotation marks. There's another context that the other is the king. What is the general relationship between mind and heart? It has to be clear, and this is also one of the most important parts of the sayings of the Zohar and a fundamental aspect of Tamil Hasidus Habad, Moach Shavit Aladen, that the mind rules the heart. And if not, then the whole psyche of the person is upside down. Nonetheless, we find an amazing saying in Tabalan Hasidus that for great Tzadikim, the inner essence of the heart rules the mind. The the first Rebbe of Chabal said, it's my level of service, of divine services, not what I bought in Tanya. Because what I bought in Tanya is for everybody. That's the general principle, that mind rules heart. But my personal level, says the Altodavi, is the inner essence of the inner point of the heart rules the mind controls and directs. That's just like in the future that the woman will be above the, the man. So it changes. Even what is ultimately above? But now we're talking about union through hierarchy. As we'll see that union through establishing hierarchy is obviously a Malchut principle. This kingdom is the final hay of Hashem's name. So if sometimes one is above the other, and sometimes it reverses and reverses itself. So then the question is, how high can we go? So there are many deep ones, but these are the, of the deepest uh, discourse in the Hasidut, that there is a heart above, in our physical body, we look at the body, we see that the head is above the, the body, the, the brain is above the heart. But if we could look deeper, we could see that there's a heart above the brain. If we look even deeper, we would see that there's another brain above that heart. And it continues infinitely. Then you can ask the question, this is actually a, a, a theoretical difference even in modern meta-mathematics, and I will not get into it. Is there an ultimate final answer? Who is ultimately above who? Or is there never an answer? which is ultimately about. So Rapila of Palach, one of the greatest uh, sages in Chabad, says that ultimately the heart is about the mind. But Rabbi, his friend, Rabbi Isaac of Homo, was in Moscow, what he would say, I don't, I don't remember it uh, written. In any event, there's one opinion that says that it continues on and on and on, which is about which. And in each step, one is above the other, means that one is in control of the other. And ultimately, Sri says that ultimately the heart is above the mind. Here down below, it's the reverse. The head is above the heart. But this vision is, what does it mean, union through hierarchy? There's a famous, uh, also saying in Hasidut, it's brought in Hayom Yom that if there's a very, very wise man and a very simple man, that they have no relationship whatsoever. It's impossible for the very, very wise sage to, to even 
consider this this person and think about this person. There's nothing in common whatsoever. What is the one and only way to lift up this lowly soul to be considered important, significant, meaningful in the eyes of the Chacham Gadol? It's only if the Chacham Gadol, because of some very, very high love of this simple person, asks him to do him a favor gives him a mitzvah for my own sake. Please make me a cup of coffee. With that request, and if the person, the other person fulfills that request, so that united him. That that made him real. The very reality of that relatively lowly individual now became fully real and important and necessary for that very high relative soul. So this is a simple way to understand this. All of the mitzvot of the Torah are this secret. Because mitzvah means savta. How can God, the infinite one, become related to us, these little finite beings? Only through, and because of his love, he gives us something to do for him. He needs nothing. This is one of the secrets of Tzimtzum, of contraction. But he makes it, he makes reality as though he needs us. The greatest love of God for us is that he is mitzam, contracts himself to need us. And that is what gives us reality. Otherwise, we're, we're nothing. But we have to intuit that, to understand, to meditate upon that is obviously very deep. There's an intuition of a servant serving his master, and thereby knowing that this is his true existence. And otherwise he would possess no reality whatsoever. So that mitzvah is from the word safta, which means connection. So that is called connecting two things because of establishing the true hierarchy. As soon as in our soul, like Tanya says, we reach the level of Moach Shalit So even though they're opposites, but the fact that the mind is in control, that itself is the union between mind and heart. So once one is Shidduch, even. So sometimes there's a difference there, but people that the boy of the girl will come and say that my mind says yes and my heart says no. But should I get married or not? Sometimes the opposite. My heart says yes and my mind says no. So the general rule is and Klaus and There are also exceptions to that. So a very wise person, good counsel, knows also to take into consideration the possibility of an exception to the rule. But the rule nonetheless is and that has to continue throughout married life, Ma'ashavita. That's definitely a Ma'chut principle. So now to conclude, with, there are four manners of union of opposites, of bridging opposites, either through bitul to a common source, through analysis, inner analysis, 
of each one individually until it is becomes clear that each one has in himself a part of the other. And those two parts themselves are what unite. The emotion of the mind unites with the mind of the emotion. Or that a third party enter between them to unite them by taking hold of them, because that third partner himself has two sides. Or that it becomes clear and that, that there's a common understanding of hierarchy. There are even many great things like the Rebbe Roshavim Chabad said that I just would have wanted to be a common person. But the world needs a Gaba. And I just had to accept that, uh, that appointment. It means that one soul, somebody has to be appointed to be in charge. If it's a true king like King David, so the Haiti Shafal Peinai is very low. He says, I would never have wanted to appoint myself to be in charge. I just take it because somebody has to be appointed. There's a, there's a famous important saying of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidut, that any community, this goes for any congregation, any community that does not have a head, the Satan becomes the head. A famous, very important, strong statement of the Baal Shem Tov, that there's either somebody in control or the Satan becomes the head. So definitely that's a Malchut principle. So now these four that we said, whoever has a little bit of background, are very clearly UK Bafi, all vis-a-vis that. As the first, that it all depends, the union of opposite depends upon Bitul. Bitul is the Pinyat of Chokmah, self-notification. Until I feel myself nothing and my friend, my, my friend to be also feels that he's nothing and we feel that we're nothing to a common infinite source, then there's no chance that we'll be able to unite. Nonetheless, there's something that is not consummately perfect in this way because that God does not want things to lose altogether sense of individuality. This first, this is relatively a union through what is referred to in Hasidut and what the Rebbe calls in a sense of great lights of Tohu. It's like, it's almost a chaotic union because each one is losing his identity altogether. And God does not want ultimately for identity to be lost. But nonetheless, this is the way to be, this is the highest level. Because these great lights of Torah are very intense and infinitely powerful lights. But this is the first way that things are unified, by Bitul. Bitul is a Chokmah principle. The second way is through the result of medication, of meditation. <coughs> meditation is an analytic process of the mind, not as in so-called Eastern meditation. Meditation is analytic because it's bina, bina is hitpunenut. 
And the purpose of the analysis is to reveal, manifest the inferent fusion of each one and the other. That's been now the third is that there has to enter a common ray in intermediate between the, between the two that takes hold and it's mechaber and that's the vav. The vav of Hashem is called vav hakibor, the better vav served in the Hebrew language. It serves, it means and, for vav hakibor. So the power that there's something, there's, there's a power to be mechaber, these two even though they're distant, and they're even pushing in opposite directions to take them by hand and to pull them together and mechaber that's the vav of Hashem's name. That vav is the presence of a tzaddik. That's why the tzaddikim are six square. What is vav? It's six. The six square is thirty-six. And there are two, two levels, two stories of thirty-six. Thirty-six hidden, thirty-six revealed, so it's seventy-two. That's all the vav of Hashem's name. And then finally, union through the means of hierarchy. Of not Shalita Ladev in our case of, of the mind and, and heart. So those are the four ways. That obviously the last one corresponds to the final hey. So this is, in itself is now a meditation of the four different ways to establish unity. Most of the next part of this discussion would be more in depth how this applies to marriage. All of these four. We said that there's a fifth one. Whenever you have four, which is used there's always a fifth level above. But the fifth level is unconscious. It can become conscious, but initially it's unconscious. What catters the crown of the soul? In our case, or in every case, the two opposites are intended by God to become one, because God certainly desires that they become one. So, at some unconscious plane, they are indeed one, and because they are indeed one, even though consciously they're opposites, they have a, a unconscious sense of affinity, we'll call it deep unconscious love for one another. But obviously this can never, never work. Even the bitur will not continue to work unless there was some paradoxical um, that these opposites of the water and fire what of fire should they love one another they should hate one another because they're opposite of one another but somewhere deep down because they do indeed have a common creator who creates both of them and that creator is essentially one and the word one echad equals so deep, deep down, the two opposites really love one another and want to unite and become one another. And if that essential or existential affinity would not exist, then none of those four ways would succeed in the long run. Now that fact, if a person really merits, so he can reveal that deep unconscious affinity and know that somewhere deep down in my psyche I love my opposite and that sometimes the more opposite he appears to be 
the closer he is to me in essence. He's just my reflection, my other side. Once more, that essential love of the opposite, that's the crown of this meditation. That's the unconscious crown of meditation, that also mind is called, like a, a theoretic professor in the university, and heart is heart, in a, an excited state of being his spirals. Mind and Chabadi, there's even an expression that mind is on his spirals. It never gets affected or excited. Heart is always in a state of his spirals. So again, the of the Rebbeim of Chabad, next week is going to be the holiday of the Nicola Rebbe. That Rebbe was, who appeared to be most pure mind, was the Nicola Rebbe. And how does he begin his Kuntus Ha'ipadot? He says that my own Hasidim are looking at me, make the fatal spiritual mistake that mind does not like emotion. So that is the greatest mistake that can be made because deep down mind, however mindful mind is, it needs and it knows that the essence of the tikkun and the purpose of creation is rectified emotion. And it's always striving deep down to manifest the heart and to become one with the heart. And so this is the, uh, this is our talk for, for this morning. That uh, we should merit to unite our own minds and hearts and to have united marriages and to and so have a united Jewish people, united Chicago, united American, united, united world. And uh, it all really depends upon going back to Ketra, to realizing that, that we, we really do love one another, no matter what. And then, Uvada Tiongar, Omer Tadei, Gurami Tifar Shemari, Demachir 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 Tifar Shemari, Demachir